Why should churches focus on the unreached if there are so many lost people in our own communities? And also, what's the difference between being lost and unreached? Welcome to Radical with David Platt. For more gospel-centered resources, visit us over at our website, Radical.net. In today's message, David Platt uses Romans chapter 15 to define what it means for a people group or a place to be considered unreached. Defining these terms is critical as we aim to get the gospel to the greatest areas of need. While all unbelievers need to hear about Christ, there's still many people groups and places with little or no access to the gospel. Here's David defining unreached people and places from Romans chapter 15. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to find Romans chapter 15. This is actually where we left off in talking about missionary and missionary team. And I want to use the same text to give a picture of a term that's used pretty often in missions uh, conversations today, and that word is unreached. Now, unreached, kind of like missionary, doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. But we don't even have a word, so to speak. Like missionary, we had apostle in the Bible that was at least a little bit similar. And when it comes to unreached, we don't even have a word that's really similar. And as a result, there's been a lot of discussion and even debate around around what that word means when it comes to missions. Going all the way back to you look in in missions history, you'll see William Carey, he wrote his initial Inquiry into the, his inquiry into the obligation of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathen. And the heathen there, he was specifically talking about people who've not come to Christ all the way through mid-20th century. There was a development of a whole principle by Donald McGavern and others to think about people groups and hidden people groups and unreached people groups. So there's a lot of history that's gone into this. What I want to do is I want us to look in Scripture See, again, this picture in Romans 15, think together, what would it mean for somebody to be unreached? And then think practically, how does that affect the way we look at the world around us and think about our lives in this world? So Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 18. So this is picking up where we uh, looked in, in the last term about missionary. I'm just kind of pick midway through the passage when Paul's talking about his ministry. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have filled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it, so here's the key, verse 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. So clearly here, Paul is making a distinction between people among whom Christ has been named and people among whom Christ has not been named. People who have been told of Christ, so they've heard of Christ. And there's other people who have not been told of Christ. They've never heard of Christ. So this kind of brings us to the core of the difference between those who are reached and unreached. So... If you were to ask me to give a definition of what it means to be unreached, I would say, so unreached peoples and places are those among whom Christ is largely unknown and the church in that people or place 
is relatively insufficient to make Christ known in its broader population without outside help. Now, that's a pretty general definition that has been used over recent years to talk about the unreached. There's nothing new there. But there, what I want to focus on, so there's two specific factors at play that classify somebody as unreached. So first and foremost, based on Romans 15, 20, and 21, unreached people don't know the name of Christ. So they're, they're like people I've met, uh, people among whom many missionaries are working around the world, who when you mention the name of Jesus, they say, Who's that? Or, or maybe it could include somebody who's technically heard the name of Jesus, but they, they don't know who he is, what he did. They don't know the truth about Jesus. They may be like 21st century Americans when it comes to somebody like Confucius. Like, uh, I think he taught on philosophy or the meaning of life or something. I, I don't really know. So people, have never been, people who have never been reached with the truth of Christ, even if they have heard his name. And then the second factor, so there's not a church presence around them. So there's not a community of Christ followers around them, either geographically or in their people group, maybe both. But there's no church with sufficient resources to make the name, the truth of Christ known among that people group or in that place without outsiders coming in, crossing barriers and helping the truth and name of Christ to be made known in that place or among that people. So we're talking about people who haven't heard the name of Jesus or don't know the truth of Jesus. And if somebody from the outside doesn't come in and work in that place or among that people group, those people will die without hearing or knowing the truth or name of Christ. So now I want to be, uh, may make one note real quick because I'm talking about people groups here. And I'm using that language intentionally, and I, I trust that for many of you who've kind of thought a good bit about mission, this is, this is common language. But just in case, when we talk about people groups, we're talking about ethno-linguistic groups. So people who share common language, cultural characteristics, and, and this is the word. When you see Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus saying, go make disciples of all nations. The word he uses there for nations is ethne. So like ethnic groups. So he's not talking about nations like we think of nations today, like 200 or so geopolitical entities. I mean, many nations, including the United States of America, didn't exist when Jesus gave that great commission in Matthew 28, 19. He's talking about people groups. So when we see in Scripture, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hittites, Jebusites, different peoples who share common language, cultural characteristics. And when we look in the world, we see far more than 200 different people groups. When it comes to nations, we need to think of, well, you go to a city like New York or Washington, D.C., there are all kinds of ethnic groups represented around you. People who share common language and cultural characteristics. You don't even have to go to one of those global cities. Most communities around us in the world, there are all kinds of different people groups represented. The same in other countries. You go to India, you go to different parts of India, you'll see all kinds of different people groups in India. So when Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, he's not saying just go to every country. He's not saying make disciples in every country. He's saying make disciples of all the different people groups in the all the different types of people in the world make disciples among all of them. So when we talk unreached, we're talking about people groups who, and in places, which we'll talk about more in a second, who don't know the name of Christ, the truth of Christ. And if, if somebody from the outside doesn't come in and work, specifically in that place or among that people group, then the people there will continue to be born, live, and die without knowing the truth or name 
of Christ. So this is the foundation. Unreached peoples and places are those among whom Christ is largely unknown and the church is relatively insufficient to make Christ known in its broader population without outside help. Now, I'm going to take these a couple steps deeper from there. So normally, in contemporary terminology, unreached peoples oftentimes refer to ethno-linguistic groups in which the number of evangelical Christians is less than 2%. So that's the number you'll oftentimes hear associated with unreached peoples. So unreached people groups are those people groups where the number of evangelical Christians, and evangelical there means Bible-believing, gospel-believing Christians, uh, which is a key designation because there's all sorts of people, people groups in the world that may label themselves Christian, but they don't believe the Bible or they don't believe the gospel. So just because somebody says they're a Christian, that doesn't make them Bible-believing, gospel-believing. So uh, you might actually have a, a people group that's labeled Christian, but also labeled unreached because uh, less than 2% of the people in that people group are actually Bible-believing, gospel-believing Christians. So we could talk about that a lot more, but just come back to the number, 2%. So in contemporary terminology, in other words, in normal terminology today, unreached people groups oftentimes refer to ethno-linguistic groups in which the number of evangelical Christians is less than 2%. But when you kind of dive deeper here, I think that definition is helpful in some ways, but it's problematic in others. In particular because, so, so I want to be careful here, because it's, it's helpful in identifying if a people group is less than 2% evangelical Christian. That's good for us to know. And part of the reason for defining unreached peoples in this way is to help us identify the people in the world who are least Christian, who have the least gospel access around the world. We need to do that. So that's helpful in some ways, but it's problematic in others, I think, on two particular levels. So one, it arbitrarily identifies a 2% threshold. So as we've talked about this in the IMB, this 2% is helpful in some ways, but it's problematic in others on two particular levels. So one, it arbitrarily identifies a 2% threshold as the determinant between reached and unreached. So in the most technical sense, a people group that is 1.9% evangelical Christian is classified as unreached, while a people group that's 2.1% evangelical Christian is classified as reached. So is that helpful? And why would 2% be the magic number that makes that distinction? That question leads to how we got the 2% figure in the first place. Missiologists have examined sociological data to determine the threshold at which a population segment can sufficiently spread its ideas to its broader population without outside help or assistance. Remember, that's part of what we're looking for when it comes to unreached so peoples and places among whom Christ is largely unknown and the church is relatively insufficient to make Christ known in its broader population without outside help. So how many people need to know the gospel in a particular people group or place in order to sufficiently spread the gospel within that population without outside help. But this is where sociologists and missiologists have disagreed on what percentage of people constitutes that threshold. So it's 2% in contemporary uh, terminology, but if you go back in the initial definitions of unreached, when that term was starting to be formally used, it was actually defined at one point as less than 20% professing Christian. So the unreached people's directory that was distributed back in 1974 at Luzon Congress for world evangelization set of people is unreached when less than 20% of the population of that group is part of the Christian community. 
And some people still use that threshold today based on different sociological, missiological research. But Ralph Winter said, a very influential voice in this whole discussion, said, well, if that's the percentage, then just about every people group in the world is less than 20% practicing Christians, so the number is no help at all. So that began, or at least represented, debate that eventually led to a smaller number, 2% today. But there's still disagreement on that. So the reality, that reality, in addition to the absence of any biblical prescription regarding such a threshold, I think renders attempts to identify a particular percentage of people as unreached or reached problematic, particularly if that number, that percentage becomes the sole determinant in mission strategy or even the primary determinant in mission strategy. That can be problematic because there's so many other factors at work when it comes to analyzing the state of the gospel and gospel advance among a particular people group or in a particular place. So if we're only or even primarily looking at that one number, so percentage of evangelical, then our picture of what is happening in that people group would be woefully incomplete. So just take a simple example. Imagine you have people group A that's 1.9% evangelical. You have people group B that's 2.1% evangelical. So you'd say A, unreached, B, reached. So we need to send, so all things considered, we just need to consider, we, we need to send missionaries to A more than B. But what if I told you that people group A, so five years ago, was at 0.2% evangelical, and people group B, five years ago, was at 6.5% evangelical. So think about it then. Right, people group A, over the last five years, has actually gone from 0.2% to 1.9%. People group B, in the same time span, has gone from 65 down to 2.1%. That would likely have a significant effect on our decision whether or not to send a missionary to people group A or B. At the very least, it would have a significant effect on what we would expecting our, our work to look like when we get there. So mission strategy clearly needs to, to look at so much more than a simple 2% dividing line between reached and unreached, as if that number is sufficient to summarize the spread of the gospel in that people group and to determine what our strategy needs to be. So we've said in the IMB, we believe it's valuable to identify that percentage of evangelicals among a particular people group or a particular place. So that's good. We need to do that. But we also need to couple that percentage with research regarding a number of other factors in order to accurately identify the state of the church and the access to the gospel among that people or in that place. So there's so much more we want to factor in than simply percentage evangelical. When it comes to where we deploy missionary teams, strategies we develop for them. We need to take all sorts of information, which we do, into account. And people have done this for decades. So I was looking at history in 1978, so that's the year I was born. David Barrett was using a 206-factor scale of comparative demographic evangelization. So I'm not necessarily recommending we use that particular scale, but the way we view unreached needs to be more nuanced than just a 2% threshold. So yes, we take that percentage, it's helpful, we couple it with all sorts of other factors, and then based upon that information, we organize which missionary teams we deploy where, what those missionary teams do when they get there, letting the state of the church in a particular area that's informed by all kinds of different research inform our strategy for mission in that particular area. So we ask many more questions. So how many evangelical Christians? Yes. But then how are those Christians doing? How's the church there? How many churches are there? What is their health? 
Do they reflect biblical characteristics of a healthy church? We'll just talk about in another uh, kind of terms talk. So what are the trend lines in that particular people group or place? Uh, much like the example I just mentioned, is the church growing or declining? So I think about spending time in Europe uh, recently, and the state of the church in Europe is much cause for concern. Christianity declining in many parts of Europe. Places that used to have a high percentage of evangelicals, places that have been categorized as reached, quickly trending toward becoming unreached if they're not already there, which then again, affects not only where we deploy teams, but also what they do when they get there. So we want to think through all those factors. Now, the other part of the definition, when you think about unreached, is talking about peoples and or places. And I'm using that that terminology intentionally because, well, come back to, so in contemporary terminology, unreached peoples refers to ethnolinguistic groups where the number of evangelical Christians is less than 2%. But that definition is potentially problematic, not just because it's of the 2% threshold, but because it also unnecessarily limits the unreached label to a particular people group. So it unnecessarily focuses us on just thinking about people groups when that may not be most healthy. So follow with me. This is how we've been working this out in the IMB. So research regarding people groups is necessary in light of Christ's command to make disciples of all the nations. We talked about it, all the ethne. Christ promised, Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations of to all the ethne before the end comes. The Bible's guarantees from Revelation 5, Revelation 7, that individuals from every tribe, language, people, and nation will one day be ransomed by God, represented in heaven. So for all these biblical reasons, biblical texts, it's important, critical even, to think about people groups, ethnolinguistic groups. So when we look at the world, we look through that lens. So we, we've said it's beneficial to identify ethnolinguistic groups in the world and attract the spread of the gospel. Among them, with the goal of reaching all of them, we have clearly been commanded to reach all the ethne of the world. One day, all the, eth- all the ethnic groups of the world are going to gather around the throne of our God and sing His praise. So it's good and right and biblical to track that spread of the gospel with the goal of reaching all of them. And all that research needs to inform our mission strategy. We don't, we don't, we don't need to neglect that. At the same time, When we look in Scripture, we can't ignore the reality that when the New Testament records the spread of the gospel through the early church, biblical authors focus strongly on places, not only peoples. You think about how the Bible talks about the spread of the gospel. So in Luke's recounting of Paul's missionary journeys, he primarily records the spread of the gospel from city to city and region to region, not people group to people group. Think about the book of Acts. Luke specifically chronicles Paul and his team going from city to city, region to region. The book of Acts records the geographic expansion of the church from Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. There's a strong geographic focus. And even when you see Paul's explanation of his passion to proclaim the gospel where Christ has not been named, he's speaking in terms of places, not people groups. This text, Romans chapter 15, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And now I'm coming to Rome on my way to Spain. He says right after that, I've gone from this city to this city. I'm going from that region, this region to that region. Now, that doesn't mean that biblical accounts neglect the mention or even importance of ethnic and cultural distinctions among Christian converts. So yes, we see Jews, Gentiles, that emphasize, but the earliest missionaries seem focused not just on spreading the gospel to unreached peoples, but also 
and maybe even more so to unreached places. So this is not either or, so this is not advocating or for, for, for dropping in any way uh, designation of unreached people, people groups. Instead, it's advocating for saying we need to think not just about unreached peoples, but also unreached places because Scripture clearly seems to, to talk that way. It's a both and all over Scripture. Even here in Romans chapter 15, Paul talks about his commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles all throughout Acts. We see different types of people being reached. The Greeks in Acts 11, the Lyconians in Acts 14, for example. So when we think unreached, we need to think of people groups, but we also need to think of places. And thinking of peoples and places. So why is this even important? Well, here's why. So Let's just kind of think through the implications of what this means for everybody whom God is calling to be as a missionary and churches that are sending out missionaries in a world where so many people are unreached. 2.8 billion people in 6,000 plus people groups, categories is unreached right now. And it's really helpful and biblical to think about the unreached in terms of both peoples and places comprehensively because these realities reflect uniquely on the way we think about missions. So think about it. Recognize the unreached in terms of particular people groups as a unique bearing on disciple making. So think through. As missionaries go out, they go out to evangelize, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, gather those disciples together into churches. As they go out to do that task, Missionaries need to realize that there are ethno-linguistic barriers that oftentimes hinder the spread of the gospel across people groups. This is where you look in history. Research on hidden peoples, unreached peoples, uh, was so important because it helped people realize evangelizing this type of person, so proclaiming the gospel, and this type of person or that type of place is going to be radically different than evangelizing, well, this type of person in the same place. You could have one city and you're talking to a Hindu and a Muslim that how you're proclaiming the gospel. The gospel content's going to be the same, but the, the bridges you're building to understanding the gospel are going to be very different. So I think about it. I've mentioned on a couple of instances time in London recently. So that's the most diverse city in the entire world with more languages spoken there than any other city anywhere. So you have all kinds of different ethno-linguistic groups. You've got over 500,000 Indians, 200,000 Pakistanis, over 200,000 people from Bangladesh, tens of thousands of Somalis. And there are unique barriers to reaching each one of those different people groups, language barriers, cultural barriers, and on and on. So we need to take all those factors into consideration when it comes to making disciples among them. Those barriers are necessary for missionaries to consider in evangelism, discipleship, as we contextualize the gospel for listeners. Specifically, Missionaries oftentimes need to learn a different language in order to share the gospel. And always, we've always got to consider the ethnic, cultural, linguistic, religious distinctions of people we're trying to share the gospel with when we're communicating the gospel to them, applying the gospel to their lives. So we are wise when we think about missions to constantly think through issues of contextualization in disciple making and specifically thinking about how making disciples in this people group and making disciples in that people group We've got to, we, get, we face different challenges that we need to think wisely through. At the same time, so, so people groups are really helpful for us to think about when it comes to the task of missions around the world. At the same time, recognizing the unreached in terms of places also has a unique bearing on how we understand missions, specifically when it comes to church planting. So you think about gathering disciples together in a church and raising up pastors for those churches and missionaries would be sent out from those churches. We've talked about, so in the New Testament, 
we see a clear pattern on planting churches in unreached places. So Paul planted the church in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Thessalonica, Corinth, and going on from Jerusalem around Illyricum, Romans chapter 15, and city centers in places that were formerly unreached, that were now reached with the gospel. But what's interesting is, so follow this, as churches are planted in particular places in the New Testament, those churches are uniquely designed by God to include different people groups. So Paul's not just planting Jewish churches and Gentile churches. Instead, he's bringing Jews and Gentiles, distinct people groups, into the same church to the extent in which they exist in the same place. As churches are planted in particular places, those churches are uniquely designed by God to actually include different people groups. And in this way, the New Testament does not prioritize planting homogeneous churches comprised of single people groups. In other words, you don't have Paul and his team saying, we're going to reach this type of people, not that type of people. We're going to plant churches with this type of people and not that type of people. Even with this clear commission to go to the Gentiles, Paul still proclaimed the gospel of the Jews and was often met with opposition as a result. And there were all kinds of obstacles that made it really hard for Paul to reach out to both Jews and Gentiles and to bring them into the same church. But you never see him saying, you know, it'd be easier if Jews and Gentiles just stayed separate, so let's keep them in separate churches and the gospel will spread faster. But that is exactly what some contemporary mission strategies today seem to advocate. People say, well, the gospel will spread faster if we just keep different people groups separate. Bringing them together creates too many obstacles if we really want to reach all the people groups. It's almost like some mission strategies today would say to the Apostle Paul, man, you really could have reached more Jews and Gentiles if you didn't write the book of Ephesians and try to get them to come together. Because that created all kinds of problems. But we know the whole point of Ephesians and everything else we see in Scripture is to say, this is the power of the gospel to bring Jews and Gentiles together in the church. The gospel has a unique power to bring different people groups together. And when they come together, they display the gospel and the glory of Christ in the world in a unique and powerful way. Ephesians chapter 2, 3. There's no explanation as to, uh, no other explanation as to why these people groups are in the same place and join this kind of community. Only the gospel can do that. And so in this way, across the New Testament, the gospel beckons, even requires Christians to bridge ethnic barriers in the church. And it takes a ton of Paul's time, energy, work as a missionary. You see this all over Acts, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, over and over again. Paul, based on the gospel, is beckoning, even requiring Christians to bridge ethnic barriers in the church. Therefore, based on what we see in the Bible, we must reject the notion that in places where multiple people groups exist, we should purposefully plant churches exclusively or perpetually comprised of one people group. Just like Paul didn't go out and say, I'm going to plant a Jewish church here and a Gentile church there, we shouldn't do that in missions today. Now, that doesn't mean we don't ever plant churches that are comprised of one people group. Surely that will happen in some places around the world, but we do not set out exclusively, perpetually to do that. So again, go back to how some contemporary missiology Mission strategy even seems to suggest the gospel could have spread faster if Paul would just have kept Jews and Gentiles exclusively and perpetually separate. And what, what 
I think the New Testament is calling us to say is that's not the way we should approach missions around the world. Instead, we believe that in places where multiple people groups exist, we should plant churches that intentionally bridge ethnic barriers by evangelizing distinct people groups and then incorporating them into the church. Now, there's a couple caveats here that I think are significant. So, one, to be sure, language differences obviously need to be considered in church planning. So the ability to communicate with one another is critical to carrying out the core functions of the church. We'll talk more about that when we dive into the church. But you take a simple text like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, instructions for the church gathered together in worship, and you see intelligibility of language is critical to the church. And we, we know this in missions around the world. That's why missionaries go deep oftentimes in language and culture in different places in order to be able to share the gospel and plant churches in those places. So there are many places where multiple people groups exist in the same place, but they speak different languages. If that's the case, then of course, believers from those people groups are likely going to be in different churches because you can't functionally be a part of the same church if you don't speak the same language. So that's one caveat. Another caveat, even among people groups who may speak the same language, Getting to multiple people groups in the same church can obviously be a process that demands all kinds of wisdom, patience, and disciple-making. So when you think about generations of church planning, first generation, second generation, third generation, this is not saying in the first generation we have to immediately be at multiple people groups in the same church. This is a process, like any process in discipleship, that requires wisdom and patience. But it's a process we need to be intentional about in missions work around the world. This is the aim toward which we're working. Until the day we know when all the peoples are going to gather together as one people to give glory to God through Christ. That's what we're after. It's what we see all over the New Testament from Pauline churches with Jews and Gentiles together to the end of history in Revelation 5 and 7. It's what we want to see all over the world today. We want to see the power of the gospel on display in churches we plant around the world. The power of the gospel to bring together people from different socioeconomic strata, strata, different ethnicities, even warring ethnicities under the same banner of gospel grace. So when we think about mission strategy, we need to think, I'm convinced, we are saying in the IMB, we need to focus on both unreached peoples and places. Both and. Which means we, we want to deploy missionary teams to unreached places, where Christ is largely unknown, the church is relatively insufficient to make Christ known, and it's a broader population without, uh, without outside help. But that's not all we do. We also deploy some missionary teams to reach places with a significant population of unreached people groups. And we deploy missionary teams to reach places with significant potential for reaching unreached peoples and places. So there's all the, all the intricacies of how that works out and where missionary teams go and what they do uh, requires the leadership of the Spirit. But in the middle of it all, regardless of place, we want to proclaim the gospel to all people with an intentional focus on reaching different peoples and then to the extent with which, to which it's linguistically possible to gather those, church, those peoples into churches together. In that way, we, we want to be focused on playing our part in seeing disciples made and churches multiplied in every place and among every people group in the world. So this... Romans 15 is uh, its why I'm in the position I'm in. I want to spend a little bit of time left I've got on this earth seeing Christ preach where he's not been named. This is the, uh, the driving ambition of missionaries around the world set apart by the Spirit, sent out from the church to see Christ preach where he's not been named. But I pray 
It's the driving ambition of every follower of Christ. Obviously, the way it plays out in all of our lives will be different, but may we live together toward the end that uh, all people in the world are reached with the gospel. All places in the world reached with the gospel. May we use our resources toward that end. May we pray toward that end. May we give toward that end. May we go toward that end. May we send people from missionaries out from churches toward the end uh, until the day when uh, there's we're not talking about unreached peoples anymore because they're all reached. Instead, we're talking about the coming of our King and Him receiving the glory He is due. So let me pray toward that end. Uh, Father, we know where all the history is headed toward the day when every nation, tribe, tongue, and people will gather around Your throne and give You praise. Lord Jesus, we know that You purchased people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so we pray on behalf of unreached people right now, oh God, that you would have your way in all our hearts, our lives, our families, and our churches. Have your way. Cause us to do whatever you desire for us to do to see 2.8 billion people reached with the gospel. Help us all to play our part. We pray for the spread of the gospel among the unreached. God, please cause more and more disciples to be made and churches to be planted and multiplied among unreached peoples and unreached places around the world. More and more peoples and places that right now don't know who you are, Lord Jesus. They don't know what it's like to have a church in their midst. May that change. Daily, may it change. May the gospel spread. May the church advance and places and among people groups around the world until the day when they're all reached. God, we pray that you would use our lives to bring about the coming of that day. Use our churches to bring about the coming of that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The New Testament puts clear priority on planning churches in unreached places the gospel beckons, even requires, Christians to bridge ethnic barriers in the church. Thank you for listening to Radical with David Platt, and thank you to all those who have reviewed our podcast on iTunes. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Why do so many Christians in our culture see the church as unnecessary? That's next week on Radical with David Platt. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. We'll see you next time.